Hello, everybody, and welcome to Curiouser and Curiouser. Um, we've got a really special show today. Uh, it's uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's it's a place, but there is it's so much more than that. And I can't wait to sort of jump into it with you. But I have a few housekeeping items. Um, first of all, I was at the dentist today and I had something to, I had a filling removed and then a new filling put in and, uh, they, I normally love going to the dentist, but they ended up, uh, like jacking me up with all sorts of like numbing stuff because for whatever reason I was freaked out. So as the weekend might say, I cannot feel my face. And I've basically been talking like this all day. It's just worn off. So if I start sounding a little bit weird, um, I'm literally just uh, working through whatever it was that they injected me. And in. so I will appreciate your bearing with me. Um, and then second is, and we will do a reset halfway. Um, we may take questions. And I think the easiest way to do this uh, will be if uh, you put them into the chat and that way we can integrate them um, during the course of our conversation. But if you want to speak to our guests live, it is uh, probably best that um, you line up um, in the caller queue, but uh, we won't take those live questions until we're sort of towards the end. Um, so without further ado, I want to jump into what our uh, topic today is. Um, which is this extraordinary place, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to be corrected. I should know the pronunciation, but I say uh, Kripalu or Kripalu, but um, it is, I would say that the uh, Wikipedia definition uh, of this place is a yoga, health, and mindfulness center, uh, uh, but I think it is way more than that. Um, this is a place that is set on 100 acres of beautiful land in the Berkshires in Massachusetts, uh, the Berkshire Mountains. But what's interesting is that the land that Kripalu is on has fields, it's got woods, it's got mountains, there's a lake. So it's all of these different things coming together, which is very apt, because if you look at the history of the land, there's so much that has come uh, together on that land. Um, it started off as being land uh, that uh, was the land of the Mohicans, the Stockbridge Muncie community, the Mohican Nation Stockbridge. Um, and these uh, Native Americans would have their vision quests on this land. So it's starting out with a very deeply significant um, spiritual component. Um, and um, and our guest is going to be able to talk a little bit about more, more of that. Um, it then changed hands and became uh, a playground for the Gilded Age. And notably, Andrew Carnegie, who uh, uh, the Scottish industrialist, the American Scottish industrialist, uh, lived on the land and ended up passing away on the land. Uh, he had devoted the last parts of his life to pursuing peace. And so he died uh, grief stricken, really, on that land. Um, and then it became a Jesuit novitiate, uh, a Hindu ashram, and then eventually uh, Kripalu. Um, so it is a place that is very, very special. Um, if you go and look at their programming, it is not just kind of the typical, yes, you can get your yoga certification um, and a huge 
component of Kualo, I would say, is that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Ayur, there's an Ayurvedic school, um, but it goes so beyond that. If you look at their programming, it's everything from, you know, uh, encouraging vitality. Uh, there is their courses on dealing with grief, breath work. There is an outdoor mindfulness school that I've taken a class. Um, there's uh, finding the inner goddess within you, animal communication, um, as well as kind of the sort of yoga certification, uh, you know, Ayurvedic certifications and sort of all dance meditation, kind of the more kind of physical sciences. So it's this extraordinary sort of center. And um, today we have somebody very special with us who is the CEO of Kripalu. Um, he himself is uh, originally from Ireland and you will hear that from his beautiful accent and had a career both in business and in the public sector. And I'm so glad that uh, he decided to stick with that. Um, and uh, I, you know, I will let him talk about his background, but I want to introduce Robert Mulhall, who's the CEO of Kripalu. So Robert, welcome to the. Hi, it's great to be here. So happy to have you here. Um, I understand that you actually uh, took over Kripalu during COVID. Is that true? Yeah, it was just around December, end of November, December 2020. So right in the thick of it, vaccines hadn't hadn't been released yet and really um you know we'd been our doors had been shut for i guess seven months at that stage and um you know ourselves and everybody else nobody knew what to do nobody knew where to turn what and you 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 were you were at krupalu before then and you ended up taking taking over so you had a familiarity with with the place essentially yeah i had been um I joined a team uh, prior to COVID uh, locking us all down. I was in place for about nine months. Oh my um, God. As a, yeah, as a VP. Oh my God. Um, and let me ask you before we jump in, what brought you to Kripalu? Uh, you're from Ireland. How did you end up in the United States? How did you end up at Kripalu? Yeah. So born and raised in Ireland and um, have explored a lot and moved around in different ways both with my career and my personal life um but 12 years ago i moved to india to do work in partnership with the bill and melinda gates foundation unicef the government of of india and an incredible organization called concern worldwide and we were looking at uh, how do you drive innovative solutions that are coming from the grassroots level um, to help more women and children access health services in rural communities. And so I was working in India for a while. And then through that, uh, nonprofit got transferred to New York to oversee some of the expansion of our work into Malawi and Ghana and Kenya and Sierra Leone. So that's what brought me from Ireland to India and then eventually to America. And then from that uh, work, I moved into executive coaching and organizational change consulting and got to work um, all around the world and all around the United States, working with many different businesses and nonprofits um, that were all looking to make the world a more beautiful place. And Kripalu became a client in that process. So I actually worked and Kripalu was one of several clients that I worked with for about a year and before uh, I was invited to come and join the leadership team. 
And um, you, I was looking at your background. Um, you started you started out with a business career as an accountant. Is that correct? Yes, I was. How did I... you? Yeah. So this is a far cry from that. How did you end up coming to this? Uh, but how did you move from accounting to sort of this bigger mission, you know, in the public sector? So I grew up in a pretty incredible family back in Ireland with a very unusual school. And um, my school uh, taught meditation and mindfulness um, when nobody else was really talking about it yeah. in, the 80, in the 80s in Ireland. Yeah. And uh, it had a very deep ethos of um, service, uh, service in our communities and in the world. And that's, that's a pretty common sort of ethos in a lot of schools in Ireland. There's, a, yeah, there's that ethos of service um, uh, for uh, communities that are really underserved by society. And so that, that really sort of strong foundation in um, sort of spiritual practice and an ethos of service is what I grew up with. And then um, my work at PricewaterhouseCoopers um, as an accountant and my studying of business was all uh, really in service of that. Um, so I don't know if it's like this for you, but every now and then I get what I call a whisper. It's like a nudge that I get. And it's a nudge to go and do something in life um, uh, to you know, say yes to a career opportunity or say yes to moving to a location. So these nudges or whispers that sort of seem to come through the air. And one of those when I was still in high school was a whisper that said, one day you're going to uh, be persuading rich and important people to give money to important causes. And if you uh, work, if you're a, an accountant, they're going to trust you more. And this, this happened when I was about 16 or 17. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to do that, but I've been, for whatever reason, I've always listened and sort of followed those whispers. Um, and that's what brought me into business and into um, work as an accountant at the beginning. But what happened was I, it was a three and a half year contract to do my articles as a, the Irish equivalent of a CPA. And the day, the, the day that it was finishing, um, I was offered, you know, a more permanent position. And I said that I, I didn't want to continue to do it. I'd made myself a promise that I would do it for as long as I needed to. But I, my passion was in something else. And so I moved very quickly into the learning and development department. Then a week later at PricewaterhouseCoopers and got to spread my wings in work that I was very passionate about, which is watching um, people um, thrive and be in their fullest expression of themselves. I love, you know, you just talked about hearing uh, oh, the whisper. It's funny because it always reminds me of something that I've heard lots of people that I admire say that, um, you know, you keep learning, um, you keep being, you'll get different signs about what direction you're supposed to go in and they just get louder and louder. So first it's a whisper and if you don't listen then it might be a voice. And then if you don't listen, it might be like a little pebble being mm -hmm. flicked at you. And then it's a rock and then it's a brick and then a house falls down on you. So you yeah. keep like, and this goes for life lessons too, right? Whatever. It's not just your vocation, but it's about how you live your life. And yeah. I've heard many spiritual people that I admire 
Um, you know, I grew up very much like you in the sense that, you know, my mother was a seeker. And so I grew up going to, um, you know, um, monasteries and ashrams and, mm -hmm. you know, in the eighties and seventies when we were like little kids and those, yep. that was summer camp for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we would go see our friends that had sort of their little spiritual names for the summer. So there'd be people from like Mexico and England and they would have their spiritual. And for us, it was just fun running around with other kids um, and you'd have to meditate and stuff. But and then I was in Catholic school. So, of course, there was that they would you know send mm -hmm. you to mass every five minutes um, in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Uh, but um, I think it's interesting that when you sort of come from that background, um, my mother was a seeker and. I think this kind of whole thing about a whisper and stuff resonates so strongly because even watching her life, um, you know, she would just be told again and again, like, this is what you need to do. And she wouldn't listen and it would get harder and harder and harder mm -hmm. until it was like, oh, my God, this is a direction I need to go. And maybe some people never reach us. I think it's very, very interesting, uh, that sort of progression. And I think it's very fortunate that you found that path because uh, don't you think that it could have been... Uh, very uh, sort of um, tempting uh, or seducing to maybe go the business route, you know, when you have studied business in school and then you end up sort of uh, in a world where, you know, it's all of your friends are kind of climbing the corporate ladder and then it becomes mm -hmm. about material things and meeting the right person and all of that stuff, you know, it, you get on a hamster wheel and you can lose sight of what it is that you're truly passionate about or what your mission in life is. Yeah, I've certainly seen that happen to a lot of uh, people in my life. Um, one thing that was interesting was when I told everybody that I was making the internal shift um, in the company into learning and development and uh, sort of leadership development training, uh, everybody was everybody was surprised, but also not. Um, <laughs> not not surprised, but they were also sort of very happy for me. They were like, this makes so much sense. And then when I left, I was then, you know, I spent another few years there and, you know, getting further up the, the corporate ladder and getting better paid and um, better benefits and uh, better sort of position in the organization and all of these things. And then I uh, left um, because I got another whisper. And I was sitting at my laptop and it, I had co-founded a nonprofit with friends and I was sitting at my laptop and the whisper just said, uh, it's time to go run that full time. And within three months, that's what I was doing. And when I did that, it actually sent a bit of a shockwave through a lot of my friends, my peers, because I was making a very, a very big move and I was giving up a lot of salary and I was taking a really big risk. And you could see that everybody was very happy for me, but it was forcing them to start to question their decisions and whether they were really pursuing the life that they wanted to live. Was and your family supportive? Yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Dad's advice. Yeah. My dad's passed away now, but his advice for career was uh, find out what you truly love and then go and do that and just make sure you're good at it. Yeah. Um, and, um, mom was always, you know, the same sort of thing. It was just like, you know, what's important is that you feel nourished by what you do in life, not how much money you make or anything like that. Dad was, dad had, um, uh, certainly had sort of 
ambition and tendencies towards wanting to be seen as successful. Yeah. Uh, but they, we didn't grow up with a, a sort of like, you know, you have to get straight A's. I don't think they, <laughs> I have three wonderful sisters, but they realized pretty quickly that none of us were going to be the kids that were getting them straight A's. But what, what they really wanted was that we were going to live and live our lives to the fullest and that we were going to um, live lives that felt really aligned with our values and our sense of dharma or purpose. Yeah. Wow. That, you know, and that that's really wonderful to hear and so encouraging and important. Um, it's funny because, um, you know, you ultimately end up in this situation where you are running this organization that means so many things. And, you know, the genesis of this program was because I really wanted to do something of service for Kapalo because it has done so much for me. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of grew up going to ashrams and yeah. uh, was, you know, and so it was just spirituality, as you know, it, you know, in places like India, it's a fabric part. And even Ireland, I'm sure it's a part of the fabric of life. You know, it's one in the same, yeah. it's intertwined in everything. So you don't even think about it. And mm-hmm. I came to Kapalo because I was basically having a nervous breakdown. I was living in New York city and my mother wasn't well and I come up to Boston and she basically told me in the hospital she's like you're driving me crazy she was like go to like just go and take a break because you're you're driving me nuts here she was like you're hastening my end so please just when you get so I literally I went back to New York I turned around and I took a bus right up to Kapalu and Mm. was up there for a uh I think it was a week of just doing an R&R And I thought this is just, which is a, it's a program where you can do case little things, right? Um, So um, I will a little, I'd like you to talk a little bit about what it is that you guys do actually like in a concrete way. But I came up, I did case of little things. I did some yoga, of course, because it's, it's a center for yoga and yoga certification and uh, meditated and did some drum circles and dancing and kirtan and ate amazing food. They have this amazing, delicious organic food that is served according to sort of Ayurvedic timing, like when your body supposed to be eating and uh, gets you on a cycle, uh, which I needed from being in New York City and like just burnt, being burned out. And um, it, you know, it's amazing and delicious and so high quality. And I, I just was struck by, um, and ever I've come three or four times now I, and every single time I'm struck by the service orientation of the staff and how everybody really wants to make it such a great experience and is so loving and careful. Um, and even down to things like the last time I was there, um, I don't think, you know, it was really, it was really, really hot. And the mm-hmm. day I was leaving, they had pushed out ice coolers with like hundreds of little towels with ice on them so that people could take them. I mean, such a sweet touch. Like they were, they were like, like rolling freezers that were pushed out. And I thought, what a lovely thing. So you could walk around with a little white towel on your head with like pieces of ice hanging off of it. Cause it was boiling hot everywhere outside. Um, and it's just like things like that. Um, Uh, just sort of the care for people. And the other thing that struck me, you know, the variety of things that you guys offer, right? All these different esoteric classes. And and then you have like people coming through like um, Harville Hendricks Mm -hmm. who's considered like a huge sort of guru and sort of relationships. And I think, what did he write? He wrote the book, Finding the Love You Want or something and couples therapy. So there are all sorts of like these amazing people. 
these sorts of people come through and then you have star yoga teachers, people like that that are coming through, but it's also then just amazing sort of classes that you have about like vision boards and collaging and Mm -hmm. meta meditation and things like that. But what I was astounded by was one, the care of the staff and two, that it was accessible to people. Um, And it's something that struck me so deeply, um, which is why I wanted to do this because this isn't like, this is super high quality food programming on this amazing land. Um, And it is so affordable because I think sometimes in this country and probably, you know, in a lot of places, um, this kind of self-care and mindfulness, it comes at a price. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not available to everybody the way that, you know, organic food wasn't available to everybody. Right. It's easier to it's cheaper to buy Doritos, frankly. Yeah. Um, than to buy organic, but it puts it in the hands of, and I have noticed I meet ordinary people and I found myself coming back to Kapala because it, because of the spiritual aspect, because of the mindfulness, because of the awareness, because of the people, because it was heart centered. It wasn't just going somewhere to, you know, get a massage, get a facial, Mm -hmm. relax, lose weight, whatever it was. It was beyond that. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. Um, and recognizing that. So we, we talk about, um, you know, what we do, and we do this online at our retreat center in the Berkshires for about, you know, 40,000 people, and we've been doing it for 50 years as an organization. But we blend um, sacred education, because what's being brought forward by our teachers and the visiting teachers is coming from sacred traditions. Um, like the Vedic traditions in India and the, you know, the lineage of yoga or the lineage of Ayurveda or um, Buddhist meditation or shamanic practices, etc. Like this is, this is sacred work. It's not just, it's not just about like sort of wellness in the way that it's often sort of sold to us, that this is about uh, well-being, but really about whole being living. And how do we return to ourselves and return to remembering and what we often remembered for many of us as kids, um, that there was a simplicity to life, that there was a, a, an innate sort of joy and peace within us, um, and that there was a not really so much of a, um, a sense of separation between ourselves and everything around of us. And so how do we hold that sacred education and blend it with what we call sacred hospitality? And I love that you've been sort of speaking to this and Kripalu, the name of the organization, which takes its name from uh, a man called Swami Kupalu, who's held up as a saint in the state of Gujarat in India. Um, and Kupalu means compassion in Sanskrit. And it's certainly one of our core values, but it's really how we try to move in the world and how we want everybody that engages with us to experience um, us and themselves in this kind of compassionate holding. And so, um, Yes, the, the iced towels that you mentioned are practically there because, um, you know, that's a, that's a helpful thing for people to have a way to cool down on a very hot day. Um, but it comes from a place of, of compassion and love. Yeah. And, and that's a big part of what we're trying to bring in the world. Our purpose as an organization, as a nonprofit, is to um, ignite personal and collective transformation. 
And we know we can do that best by bringing forward all of this incredible programming and work so that people can have experiences at our campus and online and deepen their practice. And because, you know, life, life, life can throw us some real curveballs sometimes. Um, and it can also open up opportunities for us to really thrive. And in both of those paths, whatever moment we happen to be experiencing in life, practices of yoga in our body and meditation, um, the uh, tools of Ayurveda for food and um, the rhythm of life and the seasonal rhythms, the, the approach to how we can grieve well, how we can age well, mm-hmm. how we can, how we can um, have a whole new approach to how we eat and how we think about diet and um, how, we, how we look at um, being in silence. We have this incredible Topalo Silent Retreat. This is, as you said, there's so many things, how we activate our voice, how we activate our inner writer. And mm-hmm. um, just like, it's kind of, I think we offer about 500 programs a year now. So really, if there's something for you, it's probably in our big umbrella. And all of this is so that people can have more freedom in their lives. Some people come to Kripalu because like you said, they're, they're sort of, you know, they're hanging on a little bit in life. And they, maybe they're feeling some real burnout or they're in a big transition in life and they've got some big questions. Or maybe none of those things are happening and, and they're just saying, you know, I want to, I, I feel like there's more to life and I want to see how I might express myself in a more fully way, full way. And so people come and, and engage with these things. And now with all of our online offerings, they can sort of sustain that between the times that they come to Kripalu. Um, and it, it, it's not a, you know, we're a nonprofit where we're not trying to be a resort um, mm-hmm. we're trying to, we're trying to be, uh, a place and we're trying to be a community and um, it's not a place to come get pampered uh, but it is a place to be cared for um, and and you can get your massages and all of those things in that environment which is great yeah it's really and I, I that was so beautifully put thank you because it really you know the when my mom sort of said please get over there because she had been urging me to come and I mm. thought I don't want to go to an ashram. Like I don't want to <laughs> chant. And that's my first thing. I thought, why are you trying yeah. to make me go do this? And, and then I looked up everything and I actually had a friend that was working there at the time. And I thought, you know what, this looks kind of cool. Let me go do an R and R. And I ended up meeting these amazing people while I was there. I decided to, you have like single rooms and dorm rooms. Yeah. And I decided to, I always try to choose the dorm experience because I have, you know, I've had the, single room thing my you know sort of entire life and I think it's a great way to meet people and also Mm -hmm. just kind of check yourself that you have to be around other people and share and you know like Mm -hmm. maybe not be on your phone till two in the morning or whatever and yeah um so I forced myself into those situations so I met some great people and and then just realized that you know all this amazing stuff about the land and I came there to really sort of rejuvenate myself. That's what my mother said. She said, you need a break and not just go somewhere and go get a facial and a massage. Mm-hmm. You can do that in New York. Um, and because I was looking at a lot of different things. She says, go somewhere where there, you, it will also nourish you in a different way. And that it's like every sort of cell of Kripalu does that, whether it is the food and that breakfast is a silent meal. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it, when I leave, I want to, I want to continue that practice. I come home and I'm like, don't talk to me. Like in the morning, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I just, I want to sit quietly. You see the value in that and just starting the morning that way. Yeah. Um, 
And then, you know, the food is rich and nourishing and delicious. And you end up one, I've made stuff from the Kripalu cook cookbook. Mm -hmm. And then you have, as you said, if you, you know, you've got a section called healing arts, which is also, you know, if you do want to go get a massage or the facial or the energy work, you can do all of that. And then all these esoteric services like tarot card, you know, there's mm -hmm. a wonderful tarot card reader who I adore. I've sent so many people to her and people that will look at your past lives. And uh, the, there's that book, the Akashic, the Akashic book, all of these interesting things, right? And then you have all of the programming that's online and it is so beyond just let me go take a break. I mean, so the first time I came, I was very drawn to sort of the land and, but particularly sort of the endocrine, because I, I come from the business world mm -hmm. and I was shocked to find out that he had passed away in Shadowbrook, which is a mansion that's mm -hmm. there. Uh, you know, Shadowbrook is a stream. Nathaniel Hawthorne had uh, named the stream and then they named the mansion after that. But there's also Sam Ward who built Oak, uh, Oakwood, the other house, who was a transcendentalist, you know, Thoreau mm -hmm. and Emerson. So this is extraordinary, you know, sort of history. And that Carnegie actually ended up passing away on that land was something that struck me, you know, very deeply. Um, the fact that this was sacred to Native tribes and Sean yeah. White, of course, came in the last course I was in, which was an outdoor mindfulness course and spoke to us about his people's very, very deep, it's their land, essentially, right. deep connection to the land. Um, and then the Jesuits, I mean, it was such a kind of amazing crossroads and meeting that it struck me that, wow, you have so many different things. It was a Hindu ashram, you know, and then it became this kind of yoga sort of retreat. And at the same time, something very interesting, which I thought kind of followed the current of life, which was there are periods where it was unoccupied, long periods, yeah. which I thought was very interesting. Um, so, I mean, I would love to kind of hear a little bit about what your, you know, take has been of the history of the land and how it has kind of contributed to what the organization uh, and the facilities are today. Yeah. Yeah. The you know, I, and I don't know all the ins and outs of the history at all. I don't know if anybody does, but um, we've we've captured it in some ways on our on the property with some uh, interesting signage and inside the building as well, trying to tell some of the story of the land. Um, and yet, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that some of these people were just drawn to be there, mm -hmm. um, and and that it has held a let's call it a vibration for some inner work in some way. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, like you said, you've been there. So we have this 125 acres and it's, it's a blend of these rich maple and hemlock forests um, with open spaces and grasslands and vistas, many of which were turning back to sort of uh, more wild pasture. And wildlife. I saw a and, black bear during my 5 a.m. sit uh yes. sit spot sit spot yeah um and so you have bears and deer and fox and uh, hawks and eagles and it's just incredible and it it really adds to it the land is a like as an irish person all land is sacred mm -hmm. um and and then there's certain land that really seems to sort of be a place of healing 
And mm -hmm. I, I very strongly believe that the Berkshires as a whole is, is holds a sort of a vibration of healing land and, and that, uh, the particular piece of property that we are on uh, almost without uh, with almost without failure people say that they feel a very deep connection with the land and it has it sort of helps in this process of healing and transformation for people just like when they go to healing arts and they get some body work done that's helping people to really integrate what they're learning and what they're the insights that they're having about themselves or help them to release and let go whatever it is that you're trying to release and let go. And the land plays a, plays a part in this. And uh, we're deeply grateful for it. And we do, we do work with the land in this sort of re uh, reciprocal way and try to honor and feed the land in ceremony so that it continues to feed and nourish and work with us. And I think you mentioned Sean Stevens there from the Stockbridge mm -hmm. Muncie Mohican tribe who, mm -hmm. this, this is their unceded territory. Um, and we, you know, with a lot of gratitude and humility, acknowledge that that we're working and practicing and gathering on their ancestral lands. And we, we have a beautiful relationship with with Sean and uh, some other members of the tribe, and are continuing to deepen that relationship. Sean's actually on campus uh, this week, um, participating in a program, um, and as he also teaches on some of the programs. But uh, what we've said to um, what we've said to the tribe that's now based in Wisconsin is that any of their um, folks that want to be here, like this is their ancestral land and we, we want to have them as our guests and that they come and um, they are able to be here and to pray and to practice and to dance and to grieve on their ancestral lands um, with no burden of cost. Um, and that's a big thing that we're trying to push at Kripalu. Like, I love that you mentioned that we're really, you know, you feel it's a, an accessible place and, and still for, for some, it's not accessible at all, uh, financially right. and, and culturally. And we've been yep. doing a lot of deep work around centering equity in the organization for the, for a number of years and, and really looking at how do we become a place where all, um, who want to seek a path of, um, liberation can turn to Kerpalo and say, yes, this could be a home for me too both for staff and, and for guests. Um, and that work is ongoing for us, as is the work in deepening our relationship and honoring the, the indigenous communities that um, stewarded these lands before us. That's so beautiful. I mean, it, it almost brings tears to my eyes. I actually had the privilege of, um, you know, I did an outdoor mindfulness course for about a week and a half. And uh, Sean was one of our speakers. And I had the privilege of just one-on-one -on -one having lunch with him a couple of times afterwards because um, I stayed for a couple. I now come and do two or three programs in a row because I don't want to leave after a week. Um, and uh, and he did mention to me, you know, that he said we have the privilege of being able to sort of come back. And I thought that is extraordinary um, because, um, you know, there are a lot of places that I think, um, you know, purport to kind of want to do the right thing, but then just kind of forget about actually doing the right thing. You know, whether I don't, you know, I don't think it's conscious or anything. I just think that you get caught up. But I thought, wow, these folks are really sort of, you know, walking the talk. And as I mentioned, it really, really struck me this time and the last time I was visiting that because of the people that I meet there, these are people from all walks of life. These are not people that I would meet at the top, type of places that I would 
instinctively frequent in New York because it's, or wherever I am because of my sort of peer group or whatever, I thought this puts really high quality programming and food and nature and thought and education uh, and, you know, spirituality, if you want to learn about that and esoteric, mm -hmm. all of this stuff reachable for ordinary people because it is it is affordable. Um, I happen to know for a fact that your people will work with folks if they're like, hey, I really want to come, but I'm having this issue. You know, how can we make this work? Um, and I just think, my God, what an extraordinary place. This will come back. And as soon as you leave, you will feel like, wow, something moved in me in that place. Um, I feel so nourished in so many different ways. And I think that this also feeds your soul and your mind. And uh, um, I think that the range of things that are offered make it a little bit more possibly of a diverse sort of offering. But, you know, my point is that the people that I, you know, were, was running into in some of these classes, I don't think would have had the, had the opportunity to come to a place like this really anywhere else, do you realize how extraordinary this is? Mm -hmm. the, the land that you're on and the food that you're eating, and it is so high quality. It is so high quality. And it's for, it's so reasonably priced, it puts it into the hands of ordinary people. Because I don't think, you know, like it, this goes back to the fact, Robert, that I think, you know, you talked about sort of growing up in these traditions. Like I've been exposed to a lot. And so I've seen kind of the, uh, and, you know, the sort of spa kind of that type of uh, mm -hmm. sort of experience, all the way down to the bare bones kind of ashram experience in India on the floor, you know, yep. you're up at four in the morning, you're eating gruel in the morning, you have to do mm -hmm. your seva. And what Kripalu offers people is just extraordinary. And I, you're just going to keep hearing me say that because I'm such a strong believer and I have such a big mouth about it. But um, I want to ask you, you know, you're a non-for-profit non organization. So, yeah. and 125 acres of land, a lot of land, uh, a lot of upkeep. You have lots of little, you know, you have paths, uh, you have trails, you have little Zen gardens. Mm -hmm. uh, Lots of upkeep. So how do you sustain yourself? Is it simply through programming, programming and donations? Uh, do you have an endowment? What is the, uh, what is kind of the foundation for that? Yeah, no endowment. Very open to receiving one if anybody's out there listening. Mm -hmm. um, we, uh, yeah, so our model is um, a small percentage comes from philanthropic donations from our incredible community and some foundations that we work with um, and that's an area that we really want to grow because we want to be able to do more specific programming for communities that are um, suffering the most and those are we've been doing a lot of work with for many years with um, frontline workers long before people were sort of talking about frontline workers and so we we've been offering a lot of programming particularly around stress management and sort of resilience and thriving for uh, firefighters, police officers, police officers, healthcare workers, social workers, etc. Um, and so our, our and our philanthropic work supports that. It also supports our activist in residence program, our transformational leadership trainings for nonprofit leaders, etc. And um, but uh, and then scholarships to all of our uh, certification programs and our general programming. 
And then the rest of it is from people that uh, come as, uh, as our guests, as part of our community. And we're always threading this fine line between having to manage, um, you know, rising expenses and trying to keep ourselves as accessible as possible for people. So we intentionally try to really manage the, the price of things for people mm-hmm. so more and more people can come. Mm-hmm. And we try to offer as many things online as we possibly can so that people have the option to come just virtually, which is not the same, but it's, it is something powerful in and of itself. And then, um, and then we're also, uh, I think this year we'll have both through in-person and online offerings, we'll be able to offer about 3000 scholarship places to people that are coming for different experiences. And we mm-hmm. want to expand that and continue that. Um, so uh, that's the, the model is really built around that. And, um, you know, you can imagine when that's your model and it's all about in-person revenue, um, like a live venue or a movie theater. And for 18 months, you can't do what you need to do um, because it's, you know, it's effectively illegal um, and you're completely shut down. That that took a, took a very big hit for us. Yeah. And yeah. we had to lay off, we had to lay off an, uh, a very large group of, our staff and we went down to a, a small team of just 30 for 18 months and you know, we collectively kept the flame alive that's been going for 50 years and we're able to re-emerge reinflate the whole organization and bring so many of those great folks back and our hope is that we continue just to to grow in that way of um continuing to um keep the ship steady as the world feels uncertain continue to offer all that we have to offer in the most accessible way and um and ultimately find ways to serve more and more people that have never even um, thought about coming to a place like Kampalo. um two questions you mentioned online a couple of times um and that certainly feels like it's something that's a a, a I wouldn't say maybe not a new focus but there's more of a focus on it since the pandemic is yeah and and so what sort of things are you offering? How do you choose your programming? Because as I mentioned, it's so esoteric. I'm on your website right now, and I'm looking at mm-hmm. Toltec Dreaming, Winter mm-hmm. Woods Survival, uh, Kaleidoscope Mindfulness for the New Year, Qigong to increase healing power. Um, there's an Ayurvedic uh, school, uh, Building a Better Immune System, The Heart of Self-Compassion, Secrets to Great Relationships with people like, you know, Harville Hendricks, like people that are luminaries in this world, like they're on Oprah, you know, and they're yeah. New York Times bestsellers. So you have all of this. Pro- How do you decide what to bring on? And tell me a little bit about the evolution of your sort of online courses. Yeah, so online evolved um, at the very beginning of the pandemic. Um, so I think we had our first program online in May of 2020. And we, we were like, can we do this? Can, can we get this up online? And obviously it was the only way for us to keep serving our mission. And um, so we put everything that we could online and it has proved to be really successful for us. We've now, instead of sort of serving people mostly on the East Coast, we're now serving people in all 50 states and in about 60 countries around the world, which is fantastic. Um, we're able to offer so much of what we offer in person online as well. Um, and including our yoga trainings and our Ayurvedic certifications. And uh, so it's just allowing even greater accessibility 
And then how we think about online and how we think about all of our programming is we sit down, um, you know, at least a year in advance and we say, what's coming? And we look at the astrology and we look at the numerology and we look at the politics that's coming, like the election, um, uh-huh. the elections that are happening today. And, um, and we look at uh, all of these pieces and, we, and then we look at some of the trends that are out there. And then we, we talk to the land and we say, what do, what do you, um, what's your guidance to us? And, you know, that might sound a little bit out there, but uh, if, you, if you're tuned in, you can really have a conversation um, with, the, with the land and, and ask it. Do you guys it really do that? A... Do you yeah. guys really do that? Like as a management team? Yeah. That's really amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah, I wish we did that more. I wish every <laughs> um, every business did that because, again, I'm from Ireland and we're kind of wired up this way to be mm-hmm. in a relationship with the land. Um, and uh, certainly the Stockbridge Muncie Mohican folks are in that same relationship and conversation. And the land is very, it, it's very clear what it wants to have happen. It t- tells us over and over again that it wants Kapalu to be an intergenerational community uh, for healing, for joy, um, and uh, for the liberation of um, oppression and suffering for people. And we're like, okay, if that's what you want to have happen here, then our greatest chances of success is being in alignment with that. Yeah. Um, and the great news is that, that just lines up completely with the DNA of the organization and its original mission and intention. Um, so how lucky are we that all those things align? Um, and so, you know, we... We think about, uh, you know, online uh, or some of the stuff that's coming up. Like a lot of people are really struggling with um, sleep at the moment. They're just not mm-hmm. sleeping. There's so much anxiety out there. And people are feeling that they really need to come together in small circles and sit with each other. So we run um, yoga uh, programs for deep sleep and rest to help people reset their bodies. We run uh, you know, queer and LGBTQIA plus affinity circles. Um, these last two years, there's been such loss and grief, and we have uh, sort of share circles for that. Um, it, it, uh, there's just, the great news is, is that at any time, there's usually something for everybody. Um, and, and then we throw in things that are, you know, they're deeply connected to well-being and whole being. And it's, it's, you've mentioned it before, it's our whole food philosophy. And we've got an amazing uh, teacher, Jeremy mm-hmm. Rock Smith, who's been on Chopped and uh, published the uh, Kapala Recipes book and all of these great things. And, um, you know, bringing that cooking into people's homes and they're, you know, he's he's teaching and they're cooking with him. And um, it's a the big part of our food philosophy is it's, you know, organic when possible. It's local when possible. It's in season when possible. But it's also about giving people really great food mm-hmm. and then and then giving them choice mm-hmm. and it's so so similar to our yoga our yoga is not as prescriptive as many other yoga styles it's a style that it encourages you to listen to your body and your inner wisdom to know what's best for you and also what um what wants to be expressed through you and so when you come into the dining hall at Propalo, there's kind of three sections for food and um, there's no like limits to it. It's not, we don't portion it for you or anything like that. It's an invitation for you to be in discovery and to be listening to your body to say, what would actually be, what would feel nourishing for me? What would feel like enough for me? 
um, and making those choices in your own free way. And it is amazing. I've said that like 10,000 times, but the food is so delicious. That's kind of where it starts, right? Because food is such a primal thing and you have yeah. everything and there's so much of it. And it really kind of also tests you. Um, you used to have these little cards on the table. They weren't there this time about mm -hmm. what Swami Kripalu says about eating in moderation. I'd look at my mm -hmm. plate and go, why do I have like three of everything on my plate mm -hmm. right now? Um, but somehow I just feel like, I don't know, like, I, you know, I just want to eat everything there and these amazing scones in the morning and the wonderful sort of mango, the chilled mango soup that is literally like you are at a five-star restaurant somewhere in Paris, you know, that might be like your big, I mean, it's just world-class, delicious, fresh, organic, local, amazing. Um, what do you hope that somebody that comes to Kripalu goes away with? Um, what, and, and connected to that, who are the people that are coming? Uh, one, one of the interesting things that I found, and I keep, the theme of this is this makes wellness and, oh, you know, mindfulness and yoga and taking care of your body and organic and all of those things that are buzzwords. Uh, everybody talks about self-care now, right? It makes it accessible to the quote, unquote, common person, right? Yeah. Um, meaning it, it, it's the people that maybe aren't like, going to Whole Foods all the time and are maybe going to, I don't know, which are grocery stores that, um, you know, will have like five for $1 where you would only get maybe one, you know, at, at Whole Foods for that price uh, and at a higher quality. Um, this offers that to all those people. And, and so I see this wide range of folks that it's being made accessible to. So who, who comes and who, what do you hope that your constituency you know leaves with yeah uh, we get every sort of every kind of human uh, coming through the door and um, which is just fantastic it means we've got this really rich community and um and our aspiration is it for it to be even richer and even more diverse in, in all ways um intergenerationally racially um etc uh, etc et and uh, we have people that have been on a sort of a spiritual path and have been call themselves a seeker or a finder for decades. And then we have some people who have, you know, never done a yoga class, never sat in meditation, never done anything like that. And, you know, the great thing is, is that, like you've said, that there's, you know, something for everybody at Kripalu. You can come and um, be the complete beginner and you can come and be the, the expert and but still bring a beginner's mind and if you're really um opening up to it then you're going to walk away with uh, the exact sort of medicine that you needed and really that's that's the hope is that uh, people come and can let their nervous systems down regulate and lord do we need more of that yeah all of ourselves um, yeah and then and then to be nourished by this as you said incredible food held by this beautiful land Mm -hmm. uh, in a container of this great hospitality that's really treated like um, all the human beings really deserve and belong in this community. Um, and, then, and then you're given these very accessible practices that you can take home. And so my hope is that people go home with a practice 
and that they sustain that practice because without practice, it's all, it's all just kind of like, you know, you're reading an interesting book, but you're not really living it or mm-hmm. you're having these peak experiences at a weekend at Kripalu or a week at Kripalu, but it's not really sort of integrating into your life. So my hope is that people start or, or deepen their practice and sustain that. And then in addition to that, my hope is that people remember that, um, that they're not broken as human beings. We we're really were sold over and over and over again, this idea that somehow we're flawed. Yeah. Somehow we're like a mistake that somehow we're not, we're not inherently beautiful. And you look at a kid, like I've got a five-year-old, but when he was running, <laughs> when, when he was running around as a two-year-old, you know, he'd walk up to the mirror and he'd sort of grab his belly and he'd be like, oh, look at my, you know, look at his belly. And we go over to the mirror now and we grab our bellies and we have such shame. Yeah. And, and like, can we return to an innocence um, that, uh, that we've sort of forgotten that we have, not that we've lost it, but just remembering something about ourselves that was, that we had as really small children that, that we, when we see each other and we see ourselves, we see a wholeness and a completeness not like there's something missing that we're a problem that we have to solve and but that we can turn um sort of a deep sense of compassion towards ourselves and then from that place we can turn a deep sense of compassion out to the world you know i when you were speaking i was thinking about how many different programs i've been in where people just start weeping about things you know in in all sorts of you know i went to a learning to pause class and um, in that class, they brought the bowls, the Tibetan bowls, which something that I was not familiar with. It was one of the modules she did. It was over a week. And it, I was, it really did something to my vibration, but that really made me feel a certain way that was so strange. And there were people that were spontaneously, you know, they were going around and talking about things like what they were thankful for. And you'll see in different classes, it brings up these emotions in people. And I kind of feel like what you're saying, it's a release, it's a healing. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like people walk around particularly self-conscious there. And by the way, I also say you have a beautiful store and everyone in your store hates me because I'm there literally every day going, what else can I buy? Because no, you have beautiful you. things, the beautiful things in that store. And, um, and it's, I always think of it as it's special stuff because I got it there, but it, I think it deeply sort of, Everything there kind of affects you in a particular way. It's not, you're not an ashram, but it f- somehow feels that way to me because it's more than just, I'm taking class. It's more than just, you know, getting a massage or a face. It's more than just like doing yoga or having delicious food. Or it's what you said about the land holding you. It really does feel that way. You're being held. Um, do you have a, a, what is the percentage you have a large percentage of people that come back uh that are sort of like people like me that are like that any chance i get i would love to come up there and i have to come up there for more than two weeks that's the way that i feel um do you have a large percentage of your uh people that come that come back that are regulars or Mm -hmm. is it sort of like yeah it's it's almost 50 50 of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at any time, 50% are new folk and 50% are returning folk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's great because it's, it's both people that are coming back and sort of, uh, giving us that great affirmation that what we're doing is working. Um, and then also people, there's clearly the word is spreading. 
and more people are hearing about Kapalo and saying, oh, I want I want a little slice of that pie. Mm-hmm. And that feel that feels like some good medicine for me, mm-hmm. um, so we're we're delighted by that, and um, we always want new people coming in, and and always want to keep sustaining the incredible community that's been built over fifty years, and I think that's uh, that's what you're talking to is that feeling of oh, there's a group of people here that are that are trying to walk at the same path as me, um, they're trying to walk the same path as me, and maybe discover something something about myself and um, about the world. And there's, there's just something very unifying about that. And it really has, it allows you to walk around, you know, the building and the grounds and just know that uh, who you're going to bump into, uh, high chances are that there's going to be something, there's going to be some sort of commonality that you have with them. Well, it's, um, as I told you, I was very drawn to uh, the mansion, what's called the mansion lawn now, which is mm-hmm. where the original Shadowbrook mansion stood. And I was drawn to it because, I had no idea that that is where Andrew Carnegie died. Um, And I was drawn to that. And then later I found out what that place was and I became obsessed. I started to, you know, do all of this like research. And I met uh, your groundskeeper at the time, Moose, Mm -hmm. who told me how he ended up on the land, that he was also drawn to the land somehow and came to work there. And I I literally said to him, do you guys find, because I'm really into history, do you guys find stuff when you ask it? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I come and work with you? And he sort of looked (laughs) at me and goes, seriously, I will come up here for free and work with you. Like, this is like, this is my, you know, I mean, it's fun for me, but it's also kind of a way for me to serve. And he was like, oh, I guess if you want. But... (laughs) But this land is so interesting because, you know, Frederick Olmsted uh, did some of the landscaping because this was, you know, the Phelps, Stokes Phelps owned, uh, yeah, or Phelps yeah. Stokes owned the mansion. And then, as I mentioned, Sam, Sam Ward, Carnegie, and then it was this Jesuit um, uh, sort of monastery. And, and Olmsted during the Gilded Age did some of the, uh, you know, created sort of his his outdoor rooms, those still exist, you know, the beautiful hemlocks and stuff that the mansion is no longer there because it was burnt down during a fire. But um, I just, you know, kept sort of coming back to that place. And I feel like a lot of people come back because they're drawn to something. And then it was the land and history. And then I was like, this is actually doing some work within me. I don't know what it is. Um, But I wanted to ask you like a very practical question. And then Mm -hmm. uh, we've gone a little overnight. So I want to be mindful of your time. And I also just reset the room. And I know I said that we would take questions. Um, it depends on, you know, I think the best thing is to just sort of put it in the chat uh, and we can answer them. But, but um, okay. what are the biggest challenges for you guys? And what is it that you need help with? Part of the reason I wanted to do this show is I felt it was so important to support these places um, just because of how it makes all of this accessible, right? Good food should not be just for, uh, you know, those of us that, you know, have jobs at Goldman Sachs and went to Ivy League schools. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It shouldn't. should be the domain of everybody. Um, Access to these lands should be, you know, for everybody. Um, And so what, you know, what are your greatest challenges today? And what can people do to support this mission besides of course showing up spending a week uh you know and i should also mention tanglewood is right up the street 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Boston Symphony, home of uh, Boston Symphony Orchestra. Uh, And as I mentioned, this was a playground for the Gilded Age. So there are lots of historical sites around, beautiful homes. Uh, And of course, Kripalu itself is just like extensive um, mountains, uh, lakes, trails, fields, woods, black bears, deer. I mean, it's everything. There's Zen gardens. Uh, there is that old Scottish, uh, what is it? It's a Scottish oak. And uh, the Camperdown Elm. Camperdown Elm, which yeah. is actually not connected to Inter Carnegie. I think somebody else put it there. The lake. Um, what, what, what have been your biggest challenges and what can people do besides come to take part of all of this beautiful stuff to help kind of push forward and sustain the mission of this uh, magical place. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. And thank you for um, your support um, and all of your, your kind words. So, you know, the challenges over the last two years have, have changed almost on a weekly basis or certainly um, a monthly basis. And, and right now, you know, the great news is, is that we've come through many of the, the, the real rough challenges and what we want is, um, yes, for people to come and experience Kripalu in person and online um, and uh, to really um, engage with the community in a lifelong way. Um, but we also, we've got some really big ambition around making this truly accessible to many more people. And I was speaking to somebody just the other day and I said, what I would love is that um, 50% of our community and that is engaging with Kripalu is uh, coming uh, supported by the rest of the community. And in order to do that, we need to raise some really serious uh, philanthropic donations mm-hmm. uh, so that so that we can have um, a community which really represents all of humanity mm-hmm. at Kripalu. And um, the reality is, is uh, we have, you know, this week we have, about 20 nonprofit leaders going through a transformational leadership program and they are uh, phenomenal people and they are serving uh, people that are in desperate need of de- of um, re- their service in the world. And we want to be able to bring those people to Kripalu because people are, um, there's a lot of people struggling and really suffering in this world. And um, we know that there's some really great medicine in the doors of Kripalu. It's just one of many places that offers some really great medicine. And we want to be able to offer that to as many people as we possibly can without any barriers to accessing that. And finances is one of them. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're, we're constantly looking for people that feel inspired to be a part of a really a movement that is about bringing well-being and whole being um, to anybody who seeks that path, regardless of their ability to pay. Um, and that truly is about um, a sort of a village mentality where mm-hmm. we will together um, look after each other and together kind of raise each other up. Yeah, yeah, and you really, as you were speaking, I was thinking you really, before you even articulated these words, I sort of came to this conclusion over the times that I'd been coming where I was like, oh, this is really incredible. How do they keep up with this? It's like 125 acres, so beautiful. And then, you know, the second time I was like, why is it so, you know, reasonably priced? 
I mean, this is as a business person, this is going through my mind, you know, I'm like, mm -hmm. how are they offering such amazing food? And then, you know, the last time I came, I was just telling everybody, you guys don't realize how lucky you are because I was just like, how do they do it? And so, um, you know, I was just thinking you were talking about nonprofit leaders. You should bring sort of CEOs of fortune, hundred companies over for a retreat, uh, you know, to come over and uh, kind of help sort of support the mission of this place, because I think this would some, be something that would really resonate um, with a lot of folks. Maybe that's something that we need to talk about uh, yeah. uh, offline, because I can see so many people, this resonating with so many people. Somebody had just asked a question uh, of where this was. And so I just in the chat, I just let them know that it was the Berkshires. Um, so, uh, you know, and I know with the pandemic that you had this amazing little shuttle service that all got shut down. It's, and you know, there are buses that come from everywhere, uh, Boston, New York. So I can think of uh, people that would, you know, I can't imagine that there weren't folks in the business world that would not want to support something like this, not just for others, but for themselves as well. I mean, as a getaway. Um, yeah, and, and we're certainly seeing a lot more businesses becoming very interested in what we have to offer. And so it's something that we're now bringing out in more and more into the world. It's been happening for years, but more and more into the world, helping businesses um, really look at what does it mean to take care of your people yep. um, and to support their well-being, their whole being, whole being. Because there's this great story of the golden goose and the farmer that um, went out one morning to the to the shed where the geese are and there was a goose and it had laid a it had laid a golden egg and the farmer's like wow this is incredible a golden egg and then he um you know takes the golden egg in and um the next day there's another golden egg and he's like wow this is incredible and day after day there's another golden egg and another golden egg and then the farmer's like you know what this is great but i kind of want all the egg i want all the gold now and unfortunately, the farmer in that greed goes out and cuts open the goose and tries to find all the gold. And of course, there's no there's no gold in there to be found. And um, the moral of the story or one of the morals of the story is, is that if you sort of push too hard on your people and try to get all the gold out of them through force, then unfortunately, you're not going to get any gold from them. But if yeah. you care, if you care for your your people in a truly genuine, authentic way, then they will give you gold all the time. And uh, that's certainly a, as best we can imperfectly. That's how we try to hold our view of um, the amazing staff that we have at Kripalu. Um, and a lot more corporates are starting to think about this because there a lot of people over the last two years have said, hmm, maybe, maybe the way I'm living my life isn't exactly how I want to continue living it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the dean of um, Harvard Business School, well, when I was there, uh, Dean Clark would say, nobody sat on their deathbed. Um, nobody sat on their deathbed thinking I, you know, should have done that deal. You know, they're yeah. all like, I could have been, you know, a better father. I could have been more helpful to this person. I didn't need to be so spiteful. So it's those sort of things. So I think, yeah. And, and I, I think what's interesting is, I mean, just by the, the prevalence of yoga, and things like that, like mindfulness and awareness. And America is one of these places where it takes off and then the rest of the world follows suit. Uh, mm -hmm. That is both fortunate and unfortunate in some cases, because we yeah. import all of, through our culture, our music and our entertainment and our technology, we import this stuff everywhere, right? And um, 
taking yoga and kind of making it sort of suitable for the masses and uh, palatable. Uh, so we're really good at that. I think that, that there's an awareness here now so that it's not so weird for like a Fortune 50 company to say, let's do our retreat at Kripalu. I think it'd be a great mm -hmm. idea, you know, yeah. to have 25 top executives show up. Let's do learning to pause. You know, let's do a mindfulness thing. Let's offer them yoga classes. And um, it's a great thing. So, um, yeah. Well, okay. And it's, it, it's, that, it's that inner development that is not really talked about enough. And yeah. Uh, yeah. From my own personal experience, it's the thing that makes or breaks you as a leader. Yeah, I, I totally agreed. Um, Robert, I want to be mindful of your time. It's 9.15. I had two more yeah. questions. Um, you can answer or say, hey, we get one was just, uh, what do you see for the future of this organization? Uh, it is a big, big place with a big heart and a big vision. And then two, I don't know if you want to share now. I know you went to India. You mm -hmm. went to go meet the Dalai Lama. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. So those are the two questions. You can answer them both. Uh, refuse to answer them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that will be fine. Uh, I understand. Yeah. Um, answer one of them. But uh, we'll, we'll wrap with that. Great. Well, my, my, um, the way I see Kripalu unfolding in the years to come um, is, as, sort of as we've talked about, is becoming a truly intergenerational and diverse community where all that seek to um, uh, have a path that of whole being, of well-being, of practice and of service for themselves and for the world that they can turn to Kapalo and say, that's a place for me. And if we can do that, both at our retreat center, through our online community, and then all of our work when we go into the world, um, that that is that is good work done and good work for the world. Um, and, and my time in India, um, I'm very privileged to go um, in India a few weeks ago and to spend time with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, with a small group of people. And, you know, he's a remarkable man. India's a remarkable country. And he's a remarkable man. And we're talking about this this leadership and fortune 50 companies coming to Kripalu to do some inner work around our leadership. And then you, and you meet his holiness and he, he completely proves the point of how powerful and important inner work is. When he left the room, every single person, there was about 35 of us, every single person was so affected by his compassionate and his loving presence, just his presence that they spontaneously started to hug each other and express care and kind words and gratitude towards each other. It was like a spontaneous act that he just catalyzed in everybody. And his message to everybody was very simple. He said, our job is to lead compassionate lives. And our work is to see each other as brothers and sisters bound up in one single human family mm -hmm. and with this earth. Uh, and that we must take the weapons out of um, the hands of uh, men, uh, like mankind, and we must take armies out of nations. He said, "We must become, uh, we must become a society of peace." Wow, that reminds me of the saying. It's actually uh, sort of fitting that we end on this note. There's a Native American saying uh, about, you know, we're all sort of branches on the same tree. And you don't have branches on the same tree fighting 
with each other, right? And in Hinduism, as you know, it's the same energy. And that's why they say there's no duality. There's no you. There's no God. It's all the same. Um, And that's why that whole sort of greeting of namaste is I am Mm -hmm. greeting the God within you. You're greeting yourself, you know, at the end of the day uh, and the divinity. So what a beautiful note to end on. Robert, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for agreeing to do this and happy to sort of have you back uh, to go deep on anything um, and anything you want to talk about, uh, Kripalu related or not, or the spiritual sort of heritage of Ireland. I love Ireland. I've only been there once. Um, I'd love to have you back, but thank you so much for your time. Um, The organization is Kripalu, K-R-I-P-A-L-U. We've put it in the chat. Um, and you can look them up. It's just an amazing place. So thank you so much. And um, I am looking forward uh, to having you on again, I hope sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be back anytime. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, and